Shomrabyog. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Collecting Issues, where this week we'll be taking a look at Preacher, Volume 1, Gone to Texas, Collecting Issues 1 to 7 of the Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon series from 1995 from Vertigo Comics. <laughs> Benjamin, I think yeah. you've made a grave error there. You said 1 to 7. Ah, ah, I see what you're doing, Michael. I see, I see how you've you've spun your web for me to fall into there, Michael. We've had a little bit of a, a kerfuffle, Michael, to start this podcast. The first ever, Ben. The first ever kerfuffle on collecting issues, the comic book book club. Yes, because we've never had those before. We've never had a kerfuffle before. Uh, Michael, you said to me, oh, it's cool. I've read all the stuff up until him going back to the farm. And I said, yeah. that doesn't happen in volume one, Michael. What are you talking about? You go, yes, yes, it fucking does. And then does. you showed me <laughs> you showed me a whole bunch of, of bloody things. But you've got big, thick boys, Michael. I do. I'm, I'm famous for having big, thick boys around my house. Ben. <laughs> and you made an exception for me. Um, yes. And what happened was, Michael, you've got book one. Yes. Of Preacher, gone to Texas, collecting issues 1 to 12. Mm. And I've also noticed, Ben, that despite having the same cover, mine isn't called Gone to Texas. Yes. It's just called Book 1. Yes, it's just called Book 1, Michael. So Book what I... Benjamin. Go on. Herein lies the kerfuffle. I think that the one I have is the more modern one. And I think that the one you have, collecting volumes issues 1 to 7... Might be a legacy version, which our listeners might not necessarily be able to put their hands on. Yes, you might not be able to lay your 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 grubby little mitts on them, listeners. So what we'll have to do instead is you'll have to go with one to twelve. No, no, just go with one to seven. You can you see that's the great thing, Ben. They can just buy one to twelve, but stop reading at seven. Oh, can you do that? Yeah. Oh, that's mad. Ah, yeah, mad. Ah, um, yeah, you can do that. So Michael, we've we've had to read Preacher Volume One this week, or Book One. Yes, or, we've had to read Preacher One <laughs> this yes. week. And Michael, I've had about as much nineties as I could take. Well, Benjamin, this series, like you, comes from the nineties, and it wears that on its sleeve. Oh boy, oh boy, does it, Michael? It's it is very much Ben. It is the nineties counterculture comics distilled down to a T. I mean, you kind of know what you're in for from the fact that it comes from Vertigo in the first place. The big boy comic book label of DC at one point. And we, Garthy Ennis. And we, Garthy Ennis. And when you when you get a Garth Ennis gig, Michael, you kind of know what you're in for. Um, what are you in for, Ben, when you have a Garth Ennis? Thin, thinly veiled author rants. Okay. The the actual definition of masculinity by Garth Ennis' standards who stands bravely against the rest of the world that has their as he would probably call it at one point, pussy masculinity. <laughs> um, and then we've got Ooh. tons and tons yeah. of edge, yeah. Michael. Ugh, it's dripping so edgy, edge. Ben. This is, one of the, this is one of the edgiest things I've ever read. And when I was, but I don't think I read this when it came out, Ben, because even me, Ben, the oldest person that you know, I was only about 12 when this came out first. You would have been too young. So I would have been too young, Ben, or probably, let's be honest... Exactly the right age. Uh, well, oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. You see what I'm saying? I see what you did there. Um, yeah. Look, it's very much of its time, Michael. Um, 
And I also think it's very written from an outsider's perspective. I mean, this is all heavily based in America, but written by a man from Northern Ireland. <laughs> it is. It is interesting, isn't it? Because if you go on Garthy Wee Garthy Ennis's Wikipedia page, it describes him as an Irish-born American comic book writer. I don't know if that's true. Is it? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting way to describe him? Well, in so much, Ben, as it doesn't say where he lives, it just means that he writes American comic books. Okay, it's just a very confusing way of phrasing that particular... Yeah, he's an Irish-born writer of American comic books. And that is very much true. And the, the only kind of concession to Irishness in it is that there's an Irish main character. Yeah, and what an Irish main character there is, Michael. Yes. <laughs> Cassidy is the vampire. Good old Cassidy the scruffy vampire. The scrot of a vampire. He's an absolute scruff bag. But Benjamin, <laughs> he has the look of quite a lot of Irish people I knew in the 90s. That's fair. That's fair. It's basically Shane McGowan. There's a touch of the Shane McGowan's There is a touch of the Shane McGowan's That's for sure Although I don't know if Shane McGowan would have much luck as a vampire What with his teeth situation (laughs) What with them all being missing Michael Yes he would struggle as a vampire He would just be gumming on people's necks Oh Jesus Christ That's the worst sentence (laughs) (laughs) Shane McGowan Stop stop gumming on my neck Shane McGowan you vampire Oh my god That might be the worst sentence you've ever uttered on our show. That's insane. So, Benjamin. Yeah. Look, it is from the 90s. And aside from the fact that in the 90s, comics were very violent. They were. Yeah, it it was cool. It was a cool kid thing to do. And I was 16 and I was reading and going, I hope no one sees this because it's gross and horrible. It's the era where comic books were heavily influenced by cinema, I think, more so than anything else. Because you had the whole Tarantino's, your your bloody, what was it, True Love, True Romance, not even True Love, True Romance. And those films were very in, Michael, a gunshot straight through the cheek, uh, a bullet straight through the abdomen. It was very, it was very hot, very of the now. I don't think anyone in this comic bent gets shot somewhere not exceedingly painful. Yeah, nobody's nobody's having a nice easy bullet time, Michael. No, no one just gets shot in the chest and killed. No, no. Everyone gets part of their nose blown off or part of their face blown off. Or... And then they have to bleed out. <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible and gross. One of the introductions to one of the main characters is they're shooting someone's cheek out. Yeah, and it and Steve Dillon spares no expense, Michael. Um, mm. In illustrating those particular moments, so there's there's two key stories at play here. Um, one, the first one is our is our classic introduction to the characters. What's going on? What's your setup? We have kind of an attempt at in media's res. You know, there's the a bit of an in media's res bit. Yeah, and then we have our second one, which is New York's an awful place to be, isn't it? Jesus, um, Benjamin. Yeah, why is this called Gone to Texas when they go to New York? I mean, that's that's my question, Michael. That's the only thing I walked away from this comic with. A burning need to know why on earth you'd call it Gone to Texas. Has they gone to Texas or has they gone to New York, Ben? Well, they were in Texas, Michael. And then they went to New York. Maybe they're going back I to see. Texas. I don't Maybe they're going back to Texas. Um, I don't know. I skimmed it, Ben. Let's be honest. <laughs> You've had a busy day, Michael. You've had a busy day. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's interesting. So uh, I suppose you, you heard me say there at the beginning of the episode that it's it's Garth Ennis's excuse to have a little rant. Um, and his Go comics on. are kind of famous for that. His characters are just mouthpieces for whatever's pissed him off that week. Um, 
and it's it's very much the case here, Michael, that he has religion or rather organized religion f- set firmly in his sights. Um, and boy, oh boy, is he intent on pissing on those holier than thou cornflakes. Um, yeah, especially those crap haired angels. Yeah, that's so nineties. So ni- all the so angels 90s, have a little babe. mohawk. They have a little crap mohawk and they're a little bit overweight. They're all a little bit pudgy, all a little bit middle-aged, all a little bit sad. Um, There's a a lot of that going on. Um, It's anti-religion from start to finish. Everything's hypocrisy. Everything is bollocks. You know, it's it's cynicism cranked up to 11. And it grates a bit when you're an adult reading it going, oh, Jesus. All right, we get it. We get it. Right, go on. Go on, what greats? What greats? Go on, be more specific. It gets very hammered. So uh, all the angels are, for, for to use Garth Ennis' term, wankers. Um, yes. They're just toss bags. They're all self-serving, all selfish. They're all a bit, all a bit cowardly. Yeah, a bit pathetic. A bit pathetic. Bit of a bit mm. of a milksop, Michael, all round um, yeah. are our angels, and the, you know it delves into that a little bit. And God seems to be a bit a bit of a toss bag. God's missing, um, yeah. Michael, in in the preacher universe, He's which has also been the plot of the Kevin Smith film Dogma. Yes, interesting. Which one came out first, Michael? Uh, I think it was this. Okay, in that case, we we won't we won't delve into it too much. But that is exactly the plot. God's gone missing. But rather than mm. being a a quirky manic pixie dream French girl, Michael, um, we don't get to see God in this first volume. There's a lot of more then. Yeah, I know, but she was all quirky and you know didn't talk and smiled and booped people on the nose. That's how she goes. Boop. Yeah, it was a manic pixie dream God, um, yeah. and that's what we had to deal with in Dogma. Anyway, Michael, um. We get a lot of that, and then Jesse Custer becomes this. I suppose he's a bit of a white knight, Michael. Is he? Go on. There's a touch of that about him. He's just very pious, but without actually being religious. He's he's very much. I know what the world's about. I know that I'm right. I'm going to bring God to justice, and it's a real kind of Hollywood cinema version of doing the right thing. Go on. So what I mean by that is. If I have to put up with one more monologue from Jesse Custer about what it is to be a real man or a real American or, you know, what it is to be righteous or anything like that, I think, Michael, I might just jump out a window. Um, He spends, from issue to issue, a good 10 to 18 panels telling America what's wrong with itself through a heinous example. Um, We're introduced to him giving out to a town because he's drunk. And calling them all bastards. They're all hypocrites, Ben. They're all hypocrites. He then has a go at Cassidy in the bar. Mm-hmm. And when they get into their little scrap outside, and it's revealed Cassidy is a, a vampire. Mm. He tries to have a go at Tulip for having a gun in her bag. Is her name not Turnip? No, it's not Turnip, actually. That's the Irish no. adaptation. Oh, very um, good. Which is Father. Um, and that's actually got an American vampire in with two Irish people. <laughs> I'd read a comic book called <laughs> Father. That'd be great. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> so, um, a little bit of banter there brought to you uh, completely improvised. There you go. Oh, yeah. Gents. Off the top of the head, that's the type of quality banter you get on collecting issues of the bi-weekly comic book book club. Fuck's sake. Anyway, what I'm saying is he frequently goes on his little rants and then perhaps, Michael, every once in a while he's proven right 
But then every once in a while he has to eat his own words. He has to eat crow, so to speak. But it doesn't really come across that way. Everybody kind of falls into Jesse's way of viewing the world. And it's like, oh, he's a he's a tough man. And he won't take no guff because he's the preacher. He's got the powers, Ben. He's got the powers of, he's got uh, the, powers. of the purple man from Jessica Jones. The purple man from Jessica Jones. But it's Genesis this time. Benjamin. Yeah. You can't talk about this comic. Go on. And about how it's aged without talking about some of the views and language used oh, by the characters Jesus in Christ, it. Oh, Jesus Christ, Michael. Benjamin. I literally, I squirmed in my seat a couple of times yeah. and I thought to myself, how are we going to talk about this on a podcast in 2021? Yeah, so that's the interesting thing, Michael. You asked me at the beginning of this episode, is, there's no way we're saying these words. And I was like, nope, there's no way we're saying these words. So there are a couple of words there, Michael, that are just incredibly offensive. Which words, Ben? Standards. So there's there's the... Ha! No, Ben! <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there's, there's the N-word, Michael. Yes. And there's the F word uh, used oh, as, a, you. as a slur for homosexuals. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. That one. So they, they pop up quite a bit. In fact, quite a bit, some ben. would say, Michael, um, egregiously. <laughs> um, quite a lot, Ben. Quite a lot. In fact, some would say maybe Garth Ennis wrote this just so he could get some of it out of his system. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's like Quentin Tarantino. I can imagine Quentin Tarantino. A little angelic Quentin Tarantino and a little demonic Quentin Tarantino sitting on each of his shoulders and the demonic one saying, no, Garth, just put two more. Two more. <laughs> two more. Get two more in. Get two more slurs in, Garth. But make sure the bad characters say them, Garth, so you know that that's not what you believe. But I, I think that's the worst part, Michael, is that most of the other characters in this are just uh, a parody. And it doesn't necessarily... <laughs> ben, I was squirming in my seat. Yeah. I was going, oh no. But it doesn't excuse that stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like... it's. <laughs> Oh, it's real bad. The other thing that really grinded with me, um, Michael, is the very outdated view of male friendship. Yes, um, the, so the the kind of mega phrase that gets thrown around is motherfucker. Motherfucker. <laughs> Cassidy, you motherfucker. And all I could think when I was reading it is this is this is one of the interdimensional cable shows from Rick and Morty. Yeah, I... <laughs> It threw me back to um, the. Uh, it threw me back to my favorite episode of Community, the television show Community, the paintball fight. Yeah, where where Joel McHale's character, whose name I now forget, Jeff Winger. Come, Jeff Winger. He he comes in and Troy says, "Jeff Winger, you son of a bitch," <laughs> and then they clasp hands. But that's like, what it is. It's so funny. Like, two of the characters, um, Cy and Cassidy, have an interaction. Um, and it is... And this is a direct quote, ladies and gentlemen. Is your mother still giving head for a nickel? No, it's a dime ever since I kicked her teeth in. <laughs> and you're just sitting there going, Jesus Ooh. Christ. Oh, oh, well, there's a lot of slurs in this. <laughs> there's a lot of slurs in this. This... There's a, detect- a lot of slurs. There's a detective introduced in in the second story, and he's he's a New York man, and he's out there to get the bad guys. Um, but then <laughs> it turns yeah. out, oh boy, he's not a fan of the gays. <laughs> 
No, he doesn't like the gays, Ben. He, in fact, uses the phrase, there should be a cull. Yes, he does say that. And then, Michael, it's revealed that actually... Yes. Our homophobic detective enjoys yes. a good thrashing BDM session with some boys. Yes, business development. And I think that's... Pro- yes, business development seminar monthly. Um, <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, and he, he enjoys that. What I take from that, Michael, is that um, it's the old all homosexuals are depraved trope at play here. And it's... All right, yeah, okay. There is a touch strange. of that for sure. Um, but also, Ben, this comic is twenty. 20- five years old and like the the trope that someone who's so i mean i i can't remember reading this to be honest reading okay. it now was almost like reading it for the first time mm-hmm. because i didn't remember it but to the modern audience the twist that the homophobic um gay hating police officer um, de- police detective man turns out to secretly be gay and is repressing his what a non-twist to the modern <laughs> yeah to the modern reader. reader it's like yes there's been numerous studies done into that yes actually. yes yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's fine we've yeah we know we get it but I mean 25 years ago shocking uh, yeah I suppose it would have been a big twist 25 years ago um, absolutely shocking I think it also became a trope, Michael, at, at Vertigo Comics that your first ever uh, collected issues had to have a serial killer trope in it. Because yes. I, I, was, I was reading this and all I could think of was like, didn't Neil Gaiman do a serial killer convention in the first didn't volume of Sandman? What, is this Sandman? Am I reading Sandman? <laughs> is this the one with the eyeball man? Is the Corinthian going to appear? You're going to just rock up. Yeah, so the... The second half, I think, is actually possibly more interesting than the first and possibly more offensive than the first half of it. Purely down to the fact that it's just this bizarre New York where everyone's kind of a scumbag. and It's just straight out of a Dirty Harry film and it's very strange. Mm. Very strange. So there's. let's talk a bit more about the supporting characters, Michael, because that's the most interesting right. part. They're, let's do it. Then. They're so unlikable. They're so unlikable and vile. And one-dimensional. It's fascinating to me. Go on. So the sheriff is the the one that springs to mind immediately. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. Sheriff, what is it? Hog? Is that his name? Hoop? Hood? Hang on, I'll find it here. It might be Hood. He's no good. He does not have, Ben, a single redeeming quality. Not one. He's just a bad person. (laughs) Everything about him is awful. He's awful to his son. He's awful to his co-workers. He's awful to the people he's pursuing. He speaks almost exclusively in slurs. He's just awful. He's the kind of awful that you would call these days a bit comic booky. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly- <laughs> he's a like he's a bit much. And then he gets Again, what probably seemed at the time like a very poetic comeuppance. And I always remember that that panel where we find out that he has cut his own penis off and shoved it up his bum. Because he was told to go fuck himself. Because he was told to go fuck himself. And that, like anyone who has that power now, that's the running joke. So maybe, Ben, a lot of this is quite seminal. Maybe. I, I, I... He's still trying to find it. Uh yeah, I just can't find the panel that I'm looking for. I know there's an exact panel where they say his name, and I I can't. It's Hugo. 
It's Hood or Hoop or something. It doesn't matter. He's terrible. Um, then there's the there's the inclusion. Then there's the inclusion of his son, Arseface, which is just bizarre. Um, <laughs> what a what a comment on the weird gun culture of America and uh, oh, just bizarre. Um, then there is, um, you know, there's the the entire town that Jesse comes from, who yeah, are apparently town. just the worst. Anvil. Um, and Anvil is terrible, apparently. Mm. Um, in fact, the one part that I didn't understand was him starting out with the man watering down the beer. I was like, you're in a town full of bestiality films and, you know, rapists. And you choose to pick on the man who waters down his beer on occasion. Well, you know, start easy. <laughs> Build up from there. But f- like, fuck me, man. And the angels are just the worst. They're just so awful. Um, but the most fascinating thing to me, Michael, is that throughout all this judgment, he then holds John Wayne up as some kind of pinnacle of American virtue. <laughs> so Jesse Custer has a very bizarre... Uh, I guess it's not breaking the fourth wall, but it's a very experimental thing in the middle of a, a comic to have. Jesse Custer has a, a relationship with with John Wayne. He's he's it's like his his spirit guide or his yes. you know spirit animal, and I find it fascinating that the man who is taking aim at America chooses to make John Wayne <laughs> the voice of reason. <laughs> and I was just John like, Wayne oh. Ben. John Wayne would never use a slur. No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't. He probably did. I don't want to look it up now because it'll just make me sad. Oh, no, definitely don't. Um, but anyway, like it's just ah, uh, it's just very dated, very dated, Michael. And we can't really judge it because we don't do witch hunts here at um at collecting issues, the biweekly comic book book club. Um, but it's very hard to read as a modern. Well, now, hold on a second. You've made, I think, the error there in judgment of assuming that I agree with you that this is no good. I don't think this is no good. Okay, fair enough. I think despite the... Right, okay, the slurs. We could do without the slurs. Yeah. There there are other ways to prove people are bad. Yep. Other than just having them constantly... um, Constantly degrading minorities. But... Constantly. Constantly. And the violence. The violence is... Like, when I read this when I was 17, I thought it was amazing. And reading it now as someone who's approaching 40, it's like, well, this is a bit silly. It's a bit cartoony. bit it's over, over the, the top. top. <laughs> bit over the top. Um, having said that, though, it is very readable. It's a... Yeah. It's a Decent little story. We've read comics on Collecting Issues, Ben, the bi-weekly comic book book club, where I've struggled to get through it, either through muddy art, complete disengagement with the characters, complete disengagement with the story, complete lack of... You know, there are lots and lots of reasons for something to not be good. And there is a reason that this has stayed in the pop culture uh, mind for so long. And it's that, at the core of it, it's a well-told comic. Yeah. Um, 
it's got sharp enough dialogue. It's got a decent plot that moves forward at a good pace. It's got some very interesting ideas. The, his his very power of being this combination of angelic and demonic and being a new idea that's neither good nor mm. evil and therefore terrifying the powers that be. All of that sort of stuff is quite seminal. It, it It's very interesting from its time in that it, it has a motley trio at its core of not just cape and tights wearing superheroes. Yeah. Okay, Ca- Cassidy and and uh, Jesse both have superpowers, but it's not a superhero universe. And it is quite good in that way. There are very, very, very 90s rough edges to it. Okay. And, but the core concepts of it, I still think they're quite good. And it is... Very readable, with a good mystery in it. I thought that the serial killer plot, okay, these days every kind of fantasy novel has to have a serial killer plot uh, in the first 12 issues. But it's a pretty good serial killer plot. Yeah, it's a twist. There's a good twist. It is very shocking when he stabs Turnip through the hand. Ah, poor Turnip. Poor Turnip, she gets stabbed through the hand. Um, That's utterly shocking. And he is a decently creepy serial killer in the vein of your, um, what's it called? Silence of the Lambs or your Seven. Yeah, your, your yeah I mean, Bill, it, Wild yeah, Bill. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's not a coincidence. It's, it's not, I think, you can't just throw the whole thing in the bin just because it has gross 90s rough edges. Fair. It's, it's funny that you bring up Tulip. She's quite well written, actually. As as Go on. Uh, by the standard of the rest of that comic, she's a very well rounded character in that trio. She doesn't um she doesn't pine after Jesse. She's not I hate to use this word, but it's the only one that's coming to mind. She's not a Mary Sue. You couldn't say that she just effortlessly breezes through situations. When we're introduced mm-hmm. to her, she botches a a mafia hit. hit. Yeah. You know, she's and she doesn't forgive Jesse Custer in a heartbeat. She doesn't pine for Jesse Custer. She doesn't. Do you know? What I mean? She gives him a hard time, and she's not always right either. You know what I mean? She's got some interesting moral actions she goes through. I thought it was, you know, on that end. Pretty... Jesse's go on. Jesse's conviction that he's going to take three days to sleep with her is a bit gross, though, isn't it? Uh, again, rough edges, Michael. <laughs> rough edges. Knock them off, Ben. Knock those rough edges off. Stand them down. I don't. I don't think it's a coincidence that the the modern TV show took 20 years to get made. And dropped all of it. And dropped basically all of that. Yeah. And sanded off almost all of those rough edges. Yep. They got rid of a whole bunch. Um, Tell us about the art, Ben. So it's it's done by the late Steve Dillon. Is Steve Dillon dead? Steve Dillon is dead. Um, I did not know that Steve Dillon is dead so it's done by the late Steve Dillon and in fairness to him I'm not a huge Steve Dillon fan but having read this Michael there are some panels that are quite good he's consistent it's clean it's very readable Um, there's no confusing stuff going on and it suits the style of comic that's being told Um, occasionally he gets a little bit of a hard time um, you know because all his faces all his male faces are roughly the same and by that merit, it could be argued that all his female faces are roughly the same with there or thereabouts a few more lines if they're older or a bit wider if they're chubbier and stuff like that. But actually, 
he's very good at portraying a scene. It's very followable action. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's not that bad. It suits the comic it's in. Benjamin, you can't take a look at this though uh, from an art point of view without talking about um, the cover artist yeah. as well, Glenjamin Fabry. Fabry, 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 Fabry. The famous comic book cover artist. Yeah, look, the covers are jaw dropping, Michael. Mm. They're they're occasionally grotesque. I won't um, I won't lie. He takes great it, pleasure in there's there's this particular one, Michael, that I'm looking at as we speak. The one of a, a man's peeled off face being held as a kind of a balaclava. Yes, it's gross. Pure gross. Gross and horrible. Pure gross. But very well done. Um, that was originally what attracted me to this series when I was but a young book of 15, Michael. I saw these bizarre covers and I was like, oh, those are weird. Um, they're weird and gross. They're weird and gross. And uh, so I bought one. And yeah, they're... For what they are, Michael, they're excellent covers. Again, very vertigo. Very out there, very realistic, but these are a weird... Grotesque. Grotesque realistic. Yeah, it's very... Even the, the covers with Jesse on it, uh, Michael. Or Tulip. You wouldn't know he's the hero from no. the cover. Like... No. It, it doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't come across. Or Tulip when she's on it. Um, yeah, she, she's quite grotesque as well, despite being apparently... A bit of a sex symbol. It's funny is that she? she's... Is she supposed to is, be a sex well, symbol? Is, yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I think she's supposed to be quite attractive, but she's only ever shown as grotesque. So is, uh, so is Jesse, so is Cassidy. They're all kind of gross and horrible. Well, we're supposed to believe that Jesse's the most handsome man that ever walked. Um, yeah, look at him on the cover of book too, Ben. He looks like Robert Sheen. Oh, just look at that. Here, look. I'll show you there on my little screen. Oh, look at him. Look at him. He does look like Robert Sheehan. They are grotesque. It's the big heavy eyelids, Michael. No good. It's a, it's everything about them, Ben. We haven't talked about Ben, probably the most enduringly popular pop culture character to come out of this, the Saint of Killers. Yes, I suppose he's kind of lasted the test of time massively. He's actually great. He's still terrible, but he's the modern mythos of American cowboy movies given walking form. He's the hell that comes to Texas or, you know, whatever you'd like to call. And such a weird dichotomy between him and John Wayne. Yeah, because they're polar opposite ends. I guess, I guess The Saint of Killers is actually the antithesis of John Wayne in that he's what actually happened in the West. Where you... Well, is he though, Ben? Uh, is that what really actually happened? He's, he's the unforgiven. He's the Clint Eastwood yeah. era of... Of of um, Hollywood westerns, That's he's it. grim and gritty and re- relentless and remorseless and a kind of like a Terminator. As opposed, he's not going to be wearing ruffles like a John Wayne. No, he's not going to have any wear ruffles. them. He won't wear them, Ben. <laughs> he's the he's he is the DC cinematic universe to John Wayne's MCU. <laughs> that is yes. what he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is the Jonah Hex to the <laughs> Phantom Rider. <laughs> Benjamin, if people enjoyed this, what else would they enjoy? Uh, go back to the 90s, lads. Have a look around. Um, there's, uh, I think there's plenty of comics that could do that. I think Saga wouldn't be bad in terms of realistic kind of gritty characters here and there. It's not nah. realistic, though. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Sandman, I think, is obvious. Yeah, Sandman's go, go for Sandman. Sandman's go for the, the early Sandman. You know what I think you'd enjoy if you like this and go you on. wanted a kind of more modern... Perhaps... 
Die, Die, Die by Robert Kirkman. I was Kirkman. just about to say Die, Die, Die. <laughs> just by Robert there. Kirkman, then. Yeah, that's it. You know, you might like that. It's uh, Die, Die, Die is a lot more of a political spy thriller and a little bit more comic booky in its violence than this, but... There's something about it just said die, die, die to me. I don't think I we've really done die, die happened. on this podcast, have we? I don't think we have. Maybe we'll do it in a couple of weeks, Ben. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should, gang. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. That's enough out of us. That's bloody too much, some would argue. Some would argue. Uh, what did you think? What did you bloody think? I tell you where you can let us know. Tell us, Ben. Get on the bloody Discord. Hop up on it. There's actually people on the Discord. Hi, lads. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, everyone? How's it going? Thanks very much for joining the Discord. And the rest of you, you, you too could be given your very own thank you on this podcast. Get up on the Discord. Get up on the Discord. Up on the Discord. Uh, you can also find us, if you don't like it there, we're on the old Instagram, at Collecting Issues, which I still haven't updated in the slightest, but your look, you listen. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin, Collecting Issues, it's on the Instagram. Benjamin, the Discord link is in the description for people who are Oh, thank you very much. Wondering. Get, get down there and up on the Discord. Get up on the Discord. Up to fuck. Um, yeah, and give us a shout. In two weeks' time, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't had enough of us now, um, we will be taking a look at Falcon and the Winter Soldier, written by Derek Landy, Volume 1, to tie in with the Disney Plus series that's currently out. Oh, that's interesting, so that's isn't it? What we'll be the finale will be out then, Ben. I, I certainly hope so, Michael. Yes. I, I can't wait for the finale. Um... Anyway, that's it from us this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> ben, you motherfucker. <laughs> Let's get out of here. <laughs>